Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. And now, may you be blessed as we give our attention to the reading of God's Word. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us at the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who has been crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell the disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. This is the word of, the, this is the word of God for the people of God. When I was uh, in college, uh, I, I took on uh, a unique role that will probably shock many of you. Uh, you won't be ready for this. Um, I was a black sheep in school. I was the squeaky wheel. Again, I know that's pretty hard for you to imagine that I would do that and that I might be a little bit of a problem child, um, but it was true. Um, and what was that? Hey, now. There was one particular class that really got me going, and it was uh, the class called The Life of Christ. Now, uh, you would think that I would behave myself in a class called The Life of Christ, but I didn't. Um, And in that class, the professor decided what he's going to do is he was going to take a bunch of different Hollywood portrayals of the life of Jesus, and we would watch some of them and then discuss them in groups. I'm all about it, right? That sounds great. I even had a couple suggestions of movies that I wanted my professor to think about for us. I wanted to, to, to say, hey, let's watch these. Now, everything was going just fine, everything honky-dory, until he made the mistake of speaking poorly about one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, again, I know, it's just shocking that I would be upset about this, right? It's a movie that I deeply love, I still deeply love, and I know a lot of people who've given their hearts to Jesus because of this movie. You want to know what it was? Movie is Jesus Christ Superstar. (laughs) A lot of people who came to Jesus because of that movie. Um, It it is still an important part of my life. We listen to the soundtrack all the time. Alex got, and TJ got a record player this year, and you know the first vinyl they bought? Jesus Christ Superstar. I'm doing something right. My professor now, he believed that there one particular song in Superstar that really got him, and it was Mary's song. You remember that? 
Now, in the, in the movie, um, it's, pretty, it's pretty sultry peace. Uh, and he believed that, uh, that, that they were trying to make us think that Jesus and Mary had some kind of physical relationship. Now, I have to tell you, I, 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 I listened to that music a lot. I heard the questions in that music, questions like, how do I love a man who has done so much for me, and I don't know how to respond? He's not like any other man who's been in my life before. My professor didn't see it that way, thus our clash. And I still don't think what he thought the song was about is what it's about. Yeah, that follows. But what he was saying isn't actually a new thought. Over the course of uh, the, the, the church's years, there have been people who've had a hard time thinking that uh, this, there could be a 30-year-old celibate single Jew. Jesus must have had somebody that he was married to that had a relationship. I mean, recently this has come up in that book and movie, The Da Vinci Code, where this came all back out into the forefront. Some historians even argue that it's difficult or really impossible to imagine an unmarried Jewish firstborn male. And so they think he had to have been married and it might as well have been Mary because after all, she's mentioned a lot. Some point to other Gospels that we have that are not included in our Bible where Mary is referred to as Jesus' companion. That's the word. And that word companion in the Greek, it can be translated as friend, but it can also be translated as partner or spouse. And so uh, that proves for many of these folks that Jesus and Mary have this deeper relationship and the church has just been hiding it all these years, right? Right? Well, not so much, because as any lawyer would tell you, those are all circumstantial arguments at best. Those other Gospels, they're not in our Bible, not because we wanted to limit something, not because we wanted to hold back part of the story of Jesus or suppress the role of women. They're not considered biblical or authoritative because as soon as those those Gospels began circulating, the church said, nope, no, that ain't what happened. That ain't true. There were enough people who knew the stories to say, nah, that's not what happened. And even then, if this relationship between Jesus and Mary really occurred, there would be even more precise language in the Greek than just companion. And, of course, there'd probably be a whole lot more stories. Another reason that a lot of people think that Mary and Jesus share this this, this, this relationship is because quite frankly, some bad Bible scholarship over the years. Uh, It started with Pope Gregory the Great, and great is questionable at best. He said in one of his studies, one of his sermons, that, uh, that there was this great place that God's grace meets us, and we can see that in Mary. And he indicated that Mary was something uh, that the Bible doesn't say that she is. He got this from Luke chapter 8. Now, in Luke chapter 8, this is where we first meet the women who follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, we read this. Jesus delivered seven, seven demons from a woman named Mary from Magdala. Miriam from Magdala. That's it. Nothing else. That's all we get. There's no mention here or anywhere else of any kind of sinful lifestyle that she was in or any kind of problems that she, she had. Seven demons that Jesus uh, healed her from, cured her from. The problem that Gregory had was one of proximity because just a chapter before in Luke 7, we find that story of that sinful woman who washes Jesus' feet. So the closeness of that, Gregory said, well, they must be together. And he took the short trip to include this woman 
who washes the feet with the woman caught in the act of adultery to Mary of Magdalene. And so Mary uh, the, became the Mary of history, became the Mary, the adulterer who had demons who washed Jesus's feet. That's how that story goes. Today, even today, in many traditions, most people think Mary was a prostitute. But that's not scripture. Scripture doesn't say that. Do you know Mary is the second most named uh, person in the entire New Testament? Second most named woman in the entire New Testament. You'd think with someone named that many times, we wouldn't mess it up. But we do regularly. The truth is, if Mary had been a man, she probably would have been more important than Peter. And the problem was that women in the first century were considered unreliable witnesses. Thankfully, Jesus didn't. Come on, ladies, really? I told you all May was your month, and y'all been real quiet. I am concerned. Thankfully, Jesus didn't think that her, their witness was wrong. What do we know about Mary? Well, so we know that she's associated with a town. That's pretty rare. Um, she's not the wife of somebody. She's not the mother of someone. She is Miriam or Mary from Magdala. In the ancient world, to be associated with a town meant that you had some kind of standing in that town. You were of a certain class in that town. She had means. And Luke tells us that she uses her means to financially support the ministry of Jesus. Jesus went about teaching and doing miracles, and it was Mary and these women who funded it, supported it. That Mary has seven demons tells us that she was deep in the weeds. She was overwhelmingly loaded with darkness. Standing in the community, but she also has control, or probably better yet, was controlled by something that makes her a force to be reckoned with. Do you know seven in, in Scripture is the number for complete, completeness? That tells us that Mary is completely broken. She is a hot mess. And Jesus heals her. Greek word is the word we get therapy from. Therapeutically brought healing and wholeness to Mary. She's totally and completely different because of this encounter. Now that's, that. that's the place I want to linger uh, for, for our, the rest of our time this morning. See, we can talk about Mary at the resurrection, and we did on Easter Sunday, of her encounter with Jesus at the garden, how she heard her name. But there's something about her character during the passion of, of, of Jesus that's easy to miss, but it's important for us to grab. See, the Gospels tell us that at the arrest and trial of Jesus, the male disciples do what? They split. They go running. They go into hiding. Um, when he was sentenced, not a single one of them comes to defend or to stand up for their friend Jesus. Do you know why? Because in the Roman world, if you were sentenced to death as a revolutionary, uh, sentenced to death for actions against the empire, not only do you die, but so do your closest allies, friends, and family members. No, no wonder they were, went running. They were afraid. If they showed their face, they could very easily join Jesus on one of those crosses. The men hid. But who didn't? See, all four Gospels agree that at the cross of Christ, there were women who stood as sentries for their friend. 
Um, they wept while others insulted. They, they endured an agony so that he wasn't alone. Some probably were right there at his feet. Some maybe stood at a distance. It was illegal for them to mourn the death of this revolutionary, and they did it anyway. Mary of Magdala, who stands by the foot of the cross, Jesus watches as Jesus' body is taken down prior to sundown so they won't, they'll avoid defiling the Sabbath because, you know, that's important. And she watches as, as Jesus is taken down, and normally a revolutionary would just be denied a burial. But Jesus is taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, and he is wrapped in 75 pounds of spices, and they bury him in a tomb. 75 pounds. They take him and they lay him and they put the stone. And who is there the entire time? It's an easy answer. Mary. Bury him on Friday. Sabbath begins. Sabbath, Sabbath ends as the, the sun is going down. And so before it becomes dark, Mary goes to one of the shops as the Sabbath is over. And she buys more spices because 75 wasn't enough for her friend. She wants to honor the body of, of Jesus. And on Sunday morning, before the sun rises, Mary, with her spices in her hands, with a few other women, they go to the tomb. And what happens? Well, they anticipate a large stone. They anticipate Roman soldiers who are going to mock them, probably treat them as, as objects. They're anticipating a dead man because crucified people stay dead. And what do they find? I love Mark's gospel. It's so fun. You can tell it was written by somebody with a sense of humor because he says, oh, they show up and there's an angel sitting inside the tomb. Hi. They, they find angels and strange messages and the women go running. Now, Mark tells us that the women said nothing, but the other gospels, they all tell us that somebody did. It was Mary. Mary had plenty to say. She goes to the 12 and the disciples, and what do they do? They mock her for being emotional and foolish. Well, Peter and John have some sense. They go running. Mary returns, and she hears the risen Savior call her by name. We shared these misconceptions about Mary. We talked about seven demons. We talked about her supporting Jesus, her standing at the cross, her care for him after his death. But it was her encounter with Jesus that forever changed her and the course of human history. You see, Mary was the first evangelist, the first missionary. She was the first pastor. She was the first preacher. Yeah, she had the means. She had the story. She stayed present through the passion. But it's the change that Jesus worked in this woman that causes her name to be in print so many times. So many times, especially in a culture that doesn't care about women's opinions, views, or experiences. She's still there. Why? Because prior to Jesus, Mary was a mess. Any messes in the room? After Jesus, Mary was completely different. Uh, we could say that all of, the, uh, all of these individuals that we've encountered since Easter Sunday, Peter, Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, Mary of Magdala, all of them were different because they encountered Jesus. 
each one of them, as we read their story, begins with, with a different identification, a different title, and it ends with another one. Peter, he's a fisherman, right? He even tried to go back. Mary of Bethany, she's the younger sister of the Martha Stewart of Israel. Mary of Nazareth is the most famous mama who've ever lived, right? Mary from Magdala, the demon-possessed. They all encounter Jesus, and they all leave transformed, and they all become one thing. Do you know what they become? We've said it over throughout this series multiple times. They become disciples. You see, I think that's a word that we got to recover in the church today. We're okay with Methodist or Christian or this or that or that, but we've forgotten that the title for the follower of Jesus is disciple. From full, fully broken to full-blown disciple. You know what you can't do when you see that? Argue against it. As I've studied these folks, I've struggled with a question week in and week out. I wonder, could the same thing be said about Jim? Have I met Jesus? Have I been so, so, so transformed by my encounter with him that anybody could say, that's a disciple? These people, especially these women, have taught me that encountering Jesus involves being saved, yes, but it also involves being sent. Encountering Jesus makes a difference so that the whole world can see it. Do you know what's wonderful? You don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know the one who does. A little bit ago, we baptized Wilson. Did you catch the words that we used in those vows? Renounce and reject and repent and resist evil and injustice and oppression. And then that one that we all don't really like, confess. What are those? Those are words of change. Can I be honest with you? I meet a lot of Christians who would struggle with those vows. Oh, we like Jesus. We like eternal life. We like the promise of heaven. But truth be told, many don't live transformed lives because they've encountered them. Ooh, preacher, you're meddling. Yep. See, for a lot of Christians, we like the song, Jesus is just all right with me. Right? But we don't really want Jesus to affect me. We don't really want Jesus to invite me to think things differently. Renounce, reject, and repent. Those are words that freak us out. Those are words that, that might mean I'm wrong. And nobody in our culture wants to be wrong. Here's a, here's a tough one. When, when Jesus ends up disagreeing with all the people that you disagree with or ends up looking just like you, you might be following your version of Jesus rather than the real Jesus. When Jesus is more about your political party and your political stance instead of asking you to look deep into those ideas and those stances, then maybe we've missed Jesus. Don't be political, Jim. That's not what we do. Separation of church and state, after all. Actually, maybe the problem is, is that we're following the wrong kingdom. Whoa. Jesus was really political. 
we call him king. And Jesus' kingdom is to love everyone and not worry whether they're correct or not. But Jesus' kingdom is also one of a radical holiness that rejects anything that reduces God's very best in this world. You can't have one without the other. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks. You can't have the love of God without the holiness of God. It's like walking around with an eye patch. Guess what you're going to do? Trip. I, mean, I trip without an eye patch. Our baptismal vows are disciple vows. Parents make them. We as a church family make them. They're serious words to train and raise and support. They're words that should force us to experience Jesus all over again. They ought to invite us to reflection on our transformation from broken to disciple. They ought to challenge us to see this Jesus. Does this Jesus that we worship look more like me or do I look like him? They ought to challenge our wallets and our calendars and our use of time. Man, I'll be glad when you're gone. Preacher, you're really messing with us this morning. <laughs> Y'all, that's what Jesus did. He was wildly different than what anybody expected. So why do you think it is that we think that we've got to have them all figured out? And we can't even agree on what he'd actually do. Maybe instead of trying to figure out all those things or proof text what Jesus would say because we think this is what he would say, maybe, oh, I can't believe you say this, say this in the church, maybe it's time we have an interaction with Jesus again. Let me say that again. Maybe it's time we have an interaction with Jesus again. Maybe it's time that we have an encounter with this man that, in, that results in real change rather than, rather than just have him look like what we're already comfortable with. Maybe it's a good time to devote a little bit of attention to seeking the man who doesn't stay dead and who's still offering the same kind of life to you and me today. Maybe it's time to be different from our culture rather than be culturally relevant. Maybe it's time to realize that we've been saved and we're being sent. Maybe it's time to own the fact that you don't have to have all the answers. Thanks be to God. You just got to go be his disciple and love like he did. To live a life worthy of these vows, these callings. To live a life of radical holiness that says, oh, maybe I'd don't have to be like that. Guys, the answer is not in Washington, D.C. The answer is not going to come on Tuesday at Election Day. It's a different kingdom. We can talk about that kingdom if you want to, but that's a waste of time. Let's talk about his kingdom. Let's be called to do the things that he has called and invited us to be. Let's have an interaction with Jesus again. Then we'll start seeing the answers that we're so longing for. Then we'll be like Mary. We'll realize they're going to mock me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to mess with me, but I'm still going to go because he's alive. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, it is my deepest heart's cry this morning 
that each and every one of us would realize that from the deep weeds mess that we have been in, we could never have gone too far that your grace isn't there, that you won't encounter us, that you won't call us by name, that you won't invite us to life abundant. So Holy Spirit, come and descend upon our hearts. Invite us to know Jesus. Invite us to know Jesus, to stop getting bogged down on whether we're right or wrong. Start being consumed by the one who rolls away stones and invites a holiness that's terrifying and a love that's beautiful. God, send us from this place saved and on a mission. Meet us, we pray. We give you all of the honor and the glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for it is in your name that we offer this prayer and our very lives and all who agreed with it said, amen. amen.